Welcome to the official podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel Indy West. Our desire is to make authentic disciples of Christ who worship Him, walk with Him, and work for Him. You can find more information about Harvest by visiting our website at www.harvestindywest.org or by downloading our app from your app store. We pray today's podcast will encourage your pursuit of Jesus Christ. to you, my family. I was uh, saying it, it really feels like I'm, I'm with family because we are family, right? That's good. And uh, so I send you greetings from your family on the west side of Chicago. And uh, good to be out here with you. And I love that no matter our skin color, our age, or what city we're in, or what country we're in, or even who you vote for, that we're all family in Christ. Amen? Amen. We're going to be in glory together, you know, singing. And so we're stuck with each other. You stuck with me, I'm stuck with you, but praise God, good to be here, right? Pastor Doug and this, everyone here has been so loving and welcoming to my wife and I, and uh, we really just love hanging out here in Indy, and it's just been, it's really been a blessing to be here. A little quick backdrop on myself, um, I, even though I pastor in Chicago, I was born in Chicago, but I actually grew up in Philadelphia, so I'm from the East Coast, um, technically. Uh, I grew up in a single-parent home, it was me, my mother, and my little sister, and I uh, did not have a father present growing up, and I grew up in a very uh, poor environment. Got into a lot of trouble as a teenager. I first began uh, getting high and doing drugs when I was like 12, 13, somewhere around there. And I first got arrested and convicted of a crime um, when I was 13 years old. So if you could think of a very troubled teen, a very, you know, angry, always in trouble, that was me growing up. Um, I went to four different high schools in my freshman year. I pretty much spent majority of my teenage years in juvenile detention centers. And uh, unfortunately, just that path of just, um, you know, really declining and just angry and in trouble and always getting shot at or something crazy uh, landed me in prison. I was 19. Um, right, when I, right after I turned 19, a group of friends, I went with a group of friends to rob the home of one of the men in our neighborhood who sold drugs. And unfortunately, my, one of my friends shot and killed him. And so we all got arrested. And um, I was 19 years old, sitting in a solitary confinement, looking at the death penalty. Um, when a prison guard, my first week in prison, gave me a copy of the Bible, of God's word. And I began reading it for the first time. And I haven't been the same since. Gave my life to the Lord there. Amen. Y'all can clap. Y'all can clap. I told the last service, you know, I'm a black preacher. We could talk to each other. It's all good. You could say amen, you know, hey, bring it home, wrap it up, brother. You know, we could, we could dialogue. We could talk. We can engage, okay? But uh, I came to faith in Christ that first week in prison, and, uh, and that's, I'm so thankful for that experience because it's really shaped how I live as a Christian. I have so much confidence in God's word and not in man because I didn't go to a church service. I didn't hear a sermon preached. God got his word into my hand. His word was enough. And so I'm encouraged by that. And I went on to end up, I ended up getting sentenced to six to 15 years for third degree murder for my role in that and five years probation for robbery, essentially six to 20 years. Um, went on, did six years in prison, got my GED, came home, um, began attending a church in West Philadelphia where I met my lovely bride. And uh, we dated for two years, went through premarital, got married, and then I moved to Chicago to go to Moody Bible Institute to get an education. That's how I ended up in Chicago and stayed there and planted Chicago West Bible Church. 
Um, why do I tell you all that? It really wasn't about me per se, but it was just to, to highlight because it, it pertains to, to this morning's message and the story. You know, it's, it's encouraging and easy to look on the back end and be like, oh, well, that's great. But if you would have caught me when I was like 17, 18 years old, your response probably would have been different if you knew me well, especially if you talked to my mother at the time. Like, there, there just, it just seemed like there was no hope for him. And I lived my life in such a way. I, didn't, I never thought in a million years I would live past 21. Just didn't anywhere I came from. Everybody I knew just didn't make it past 21. But if you would have looked at me at that time, you'd have been like, man, I'm praying that God does something. I hope God does something, you know, but I just can't see it. You ever felt like that way about somebody? A cousin, a brother, a relative, right? It's like, you know, I know that they, I know that like, you know, they are married, but man, it's been so toxic in there. I just can't really see that marriage getting better. Man, I, I know that like, God can save people, but you know what? She's been an alcoholic for like 20 years. She's damaged her family. He's damaged his family. I don't really know. Like, I just don't have the faith to really believe. I know God can do it, but I struggle. You ever been there? Here's what I do want to encourage you this morning is that we serve a God who sets the captives free. And if this troubled teen from North Philadelphia who was strung out in drug addictions and went to prison for murder can be sitting here talking to you as a pastor... God could do that for anyone in your life that you think he can't, and he could do that for you too. I want to be encouraged that God sets the captives free. Now, I know, here's the thing. There's a lot of pain in this room, and I say that because people that we want to see redeemed and transformed, and while you're waiting, it's painful. I was just weeping with a woman in the last service who's just been waiting on her son, and he's just in severe drug addiction, and she's crying, she's praying, and the waiting is painful. And even the transformation addresses some pain. So here's what I want to do. I want us to bow our heads in prayer and seek the Lord and just in humility say, God, we just need you to show up. And we're just going to trust that through his word this morning that we'll leave encouraged. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me? Jesus, we, we confess this morning that we need you. And um, sometimes you allow us to just run on that treadmill in our own strength to realize that we can't do it. Lord, there's some of us sitting here, and um, there's some aspects of our lives that we've been in bondage to, and we just, we struggle to believe that you could change it and set us free. Lord, there's some people sitting here, and there's people that they're praying for, situations they want to see changed, marriages they want to see healed, people want to overcome lust and some addictions, heal from bitterness, shame in their past, and God, we confess we've been wrestling with this thing for 10 years. And sometimes it doesn't feel like change is ever going to come. God, would you, would you encourage us this morning and do the work that only you could do? Would you increase our faith this morning? Would you strengthen us, give us endurance, and would you transform us? So God, let your word go forth as you see fit and may it do its work in our hearts as you desire it to do. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, if you could turn to Mark chapter 5. The Gospel of Mark chapter 5. And in Mark chapter 5, we, we end up looking at this story uh, where Jesus heals a man who's been possessed by a demon. And uh, we pick up here, and there's, there's a lot of things we can learn about this story, but there's three kind of main buckets, main categories, main, main nuggets that we can take away um, from this chapter about God setting the captives free. Here's the first thing. Jot this down. 
Only Jesus can set captives free. Let me say that again. Only Jesus can set captives free. I say that as a word of encouragement so some of you don't feel that you have to be Superman or Wonder Woman for somebody and put pressure on yourself that God didn't put on you because you can't change the heart. So here's what we learn. Look at me in verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones." Stop right there. Do you think that brother has some serious stuff going on? Yeah. All right, a couple of things here. Just a little backdrop. If you see in verse 1, it says they came to the other side of the sea. The story before that, if you remember, remember when Jesus calmed the storm? Storm raising. He says, you know, chill, peace be still. Storm stops, right? And now he gets on land. And the first thing is he encounters this man. And the reason why the story goes there, and, and there's many encounters that God had. But the reason why this is here in Scripture is because it begs the question, can the same God who stops the storms out there stop the storms in here? Can the same God who say, peace be still to the storm, can he truly calm the raging beast inside of the darkest, coldest heart? That's 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 a legit question, especially when you look out into this world and you look into your life. We find out it's yes, he can. Now, here's a couple things that I want to observe about this man, all right? So let's, let's kind of park here for a minute and look at this man and see what we can learn about him. There's four things we can tell from verses um, 1 uh, uh, on through verses uh, 5 about this man. Is one, he's been in bondage and captivity for a while. What do I mean by being captive? I mean, you feel like you're in prison, you can't get out of this. And even as I shared my story earlier about being in prison, um, what I found is there's many people who have never been to a physical prison, but they're in prison in here. There's a lot of people who are in bondage to addictions, a bondage to shame. Some of you are in bondage to your past. We could be in prison in a lot of different ways. And we find that this man was in captive. He was, he was captive. And how do we know? Because it says here that people bound him with chains and shackles. And then he would break out of them and they would do it again. And he would break out of them and they would do it again. So he clearly was in bondage for a while. Second thing we find out is he's, he's considered violent and dangerous. How do we know that? Well, it says here in verse 5 that he cuts himself. He cuts himself. And the fact that people feel the need to put you in chains says that you are a threat. There's some, there's some idea that he can't be left alone. He's dangerous. We need to shackle him up. Third thing we find out here is that everybody tried to help him up to no avail. It said in verse 3, he lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore. Not even with a chain. So people have been trying to help him. There's some level of compassion that, hey, can we help this guy? And it says in verse 4, the back part of it, no one had the strength to subdue him. Another thing we know about this guy is he's suicidal. He's cutting himself. Not only is he cutting himself, it says he's he's always crying out and cutting himself. So he's crying out loud. Picture this. He's crying out loud and he's cutting himself. This is the environment. And he lives 
amongst the tombs, so he lives in a cemetery in a graveyard. Who lives in a graveyard? So I want you to kind of picture, I want you to enter into the story, enter into this world, and really visualize this, that this is, this is what Jesus is walking into, a guy who lives in a cemetery, is always in chains and bondage, he's cutting himself all the time, and people don't know what to do with him because everybody's tried everything. The fact that he lives amongst the tombs and in the graveyard shows that his situation appears dead and hopeless. And even though people have tried with chains and shackles, it has not worked. And what the chains and shackles display to us is everyone's tried to put a Band-Aid on it, but Band-Aids can't help. And we live in an environment, we live in a country, we live in a society that loves to put Band-Aids on stuff. Maybe if I just move to a different city, maybe if I just date a different person, maybe if I just take a different job or if I just start working out. And these things aren't bad. Sometimes it's good to move to a new city. Sometimes it's helpful to switch jobs. Sometimes it's helpful to date somebody different. But those things can't change your heart. Because you, if, you, if you are in bondage to bitterness, hurt, addiction, lust, you can move to whatever city you want. You bring that with you. And if something's wired wrong within you, if your heart is off, you could date as many godly people as you want to. It'll end up in the same way. Well, maybe if I just dated, it's a problem with her. Well, I'll, well, the problem's with him. Well, maybe if you dated seven or eight people in the last two years, my sister, my brother, maybe they might not be the problem. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> maybe something, you might want to just look in the mirror and say, okay, same result. Right? I often say you can take the lion out of the jungle, but it's still the lion. If it bites you because you were petting it at the zoo, you shouldn't be upset. <laughs> if the bear mauled you because you were petting it because you thought it was cute, you shouldn't be upset because it was a bear. And oftentimes our society loves to put band-aids on things and not address the heart because you can't address the heart. No one, look at me, look again in verse 4, the back part of it, no one had the strength to subdue him. This means that everyone has tried. It means it doesn't matter what college you went to, no matter what education you got, if you got a PhD, how much money you've had, what church you go to, what city you live in, or any of that, no one had the strength to subdue him. No one's powerful enough, no one's connected enough, no one has enough money. And maybe some of you can relate. Have you been there? Man, we've tried everything. Our family has talked to him, we've come alongside of her. I've said everything I can to my son. I've tried to be the best mother I can to my daughter, and she just keeps ending up in these bad relationships and situations. I've tried to talk to my brother, and we, we've tried to get him in recovery. We've tried to get him in rehab. We've tried this. We've tried that. You know what? We've tried three or four different counselors in our marriage, and we've tried this. You ever been to that place? Felt that way? Maybe you felt that way about yourself. I've repented about this a thousand times. I don't know what else to do. I don't have the strength. I don't even have the stamina to keep walking with this person because it's draining. And I'm trying. So these are some of the things we, we learn about this man. And we learn one final important thing about this guy too as well. If you notice here, he doesn't have a name. It doesn't say his name. He has a name, but it doesn't even tell, it doesn't even tell us his name. 
you know this man by his situation. He's called the demon-possessed man. That's painful. I believe God put it there for a reason. He does have a name. Maybe God doesn't want to shame him. I don't know. But God put it there for a reason because here's the truth. We often identify people by their sin and their problems. We don't look at their humanity. We don't look at the fact that they were created in God's image. We classify, we categorize everything. We look at the government. We just say liberals, conservatives. Like this is how we talk. You're from the north. You're from down south. We just know how to categorize everything, right? And then same thing. We, do, we identify people or the big thing that, that, that is like the benchmark that we remember or think about them is their sin or their problem. Oftentimes. Jeff, he's the deadbeat dad. Stephanie, yeah, she's always in bad relationships. I mean, it's just relationship after relationship. Mike, yeah, he can't put the bottle down. He just wrecked his family. Lisa, she's, she's such a backstabber. I wouldn't even hang around, Lisa, if I was you. Now, while these things may be true, it's so easy for us to make that the main emphasis or what we think about somebody. That's why it's hard for us to love people. Because the first thing that comes to our mind is their sin and their baggage. We can't make it past that to even love you. We see the fact that you're an addict or this or that or a convicted felon. Oftentimes when we see people in their mess and going through challenges, it's their sin or their problem that we remember the most. Man, there's, so, there's such great pain in not having a name. There's such shame in being addressed by your family or your loved ones or your friends based upon your past. Can we commit to being careful of how we talk to one another? And how you talk to your family and loved ones, even about people that you're praying for or that gets on your nerves. Being sensitive to the identity titles that we place upon people. You know, when I was in prison, I went through two years of NA and AA, because that was one of the requirements being there. And while some of that stuff can be helpful, and maybe some of you went through that and you're in that, one the only thing I didn't like about it was, hi, I'm John, I'm an addict. I don't want to say that. I'm not an addict. I was an addict. But in Christ, I'm a new creation. Don't teach me to call myself that. I want to walk in freedom. In heaven, everybody's there is, I was but God. I should have been but God. That's what heaven is. Ain't nobody in heaven is calling you an addict. I'm not going to start talking like that now. Now, here's the question that we got to ask ourselves that's legit. Can this man be transformed and redeemed? That's a legit question. And here's the problem. As Christians, we, we know it and we say, yes, he can, but we struggle to really believe it. Because here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about yourself or that person that's coming to mind right now that you're just like, man, I, I just, I want to see, but I can't. Can God transform that person? That's the kind of fork in the road question because how you answer that determines how you'll move forward. And if you truly don't believe you might say it, but if you really don't act on that, you really don't believe God can redeem or transform anyone or that person that's, that's on your mind and your heart right now, you won't be available to pray for them regularly. You'll avoid them. You'll ignore them. You'll be irritated by them. So you've probably given up hope. Here's what I found. The greater the sin or the more painful the circumstances, 
the harder it is for us to believe that change is possible. Let me say that again. The greater the sin or the more painful the circumstances, the harder it is for us to believe that change is possible. I don't know too many people that has prayed for Osama bin Laden. There's just certain people we dump in a category and we're just like, justice please. Can God really change that person? Now, even though he's been in prison, even though he's been considered violent and dangerous, even though he's suicidal, even though he's only known for his situation, there's one thing we know about this guy, and we see it in verse 6. He's willing to run to Jesus, and Jesus doesn't reject him. Look at verse 6. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. Just stop right there. I want you to picture him. I mean, this is like a, we're watching this on high definition, right? We're, I want you to enter into their world. Jesus is walking by, and it says he saw Jesus from afar off, and he ran to him and fell down. So imagine this guy who was cutting himself. He's got scars all over his body. He hasn't showered in who knows how long. He's always been in shackles. He probably hasn't shaved, so his hair is probably out there. He looks, and he's, he's, he's known for violence. That's why he's shackled. And he runs up on Jesus and falls on his face. Can you imagine the scenery? And Jesus' disciples, maybe Mary and Martha is with them and the 12, and they probably just like, yo, who's this dude? Like, I know you're running up on Jesus and everything, but, I mean, it's very legit that this guy might throw a punch. So enter into the atmosphere, and Jesus in compassion shows that no one is too far gone and that no one is so far gone that they can't be redeemed or changed or approached by God. I mean, we learn that. If Jesus is that way, we should be as well. What fuels us to run to and support men and women who are in bondage or sin is that we believe in a God who redeems. Anyone who turns to Jesus in a posture of brokenness and humility and desperation can be healed and set free. This guy falling down on his face in front of Jesus and running to him is essentially saying, I can't help myself. I'm at the end of myself. I can't do it. I'm banking everything on you. Do whatever it takes to heal me. And I believe you can do it. Have mercy on me. There's no one who isn't redeemable. All people can be transformed. Here's the second thing. Jot this down. Only Jesus can enter the darkest heart. Let me say that again. Only Jesus can enter into the darkest heart. Look at me in verse 7. Look what happens. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have, you, what, ha, um, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So that's not even the man talking to Jesus. It's the demons within him talking to Jesus. And they say to Jesus, what do you want to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? This is why no one is able to help this man because no one can speak to his soul and heart like Jesus can. And this is why as you think about yourself, why the band-aids may be helpful and put up boundaries, only Jesus can transform your heart. You can go to every seminar you want. You can read every book you want. Browse on YouTube. Unless the Spirit of God moves to pierce through the darkest heart, 
nothing happens. It may look good on the outside, it may look cute for Facebook and Instagram, but deep inside there will still be emptiness and void there. And all type of wickedness and pain and everything. So Jesus begins speaking to this man. Look in verse 9. He's speaking directly to the demons and the man's problem, his heart. Verse 9, and Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. A legion was um, 6,000 Roman soldiers and about 700 cavalrymen. So about 6,000, almost 7,000 people would be considered a legion. That was what, when you hear about Rome and you study Rome and you hear about the legions. If you were commander of a legion, you commanded about six to 7,000 men. And the demons here, Jesus says to the man, what's your name? And the, the demons say back to him, legion, for we are many. There's many things going on in this man's heart. He's spiritually taken over and indwelt and possessed by demons. Now, here's the thing. Everybody may not be spiritually possessed by demons, but you can be oppressed. There's some people who have been oppressed and walking around weary and beat down for years by Satan because they have seen things. On the west side of Chicago, I got young kids who have seen dead bodies on the way to school. That doesn't just leave your mind. There's people in this room who have seen and experienced trauma. Things that was done to you or things you just saw. There's people in this room who have done things and the shame of that follows you. And Satan uses it to oppress you. Wear you down. Now here's the thing. Satan doesn't really care about the mechanism or the method of how he goes about oppressing you. Satan only cares that we are held captive and destroyed by our pains and our problems. That's the reality that everybody in this room has in common. Everything, it don't matter who you vote for, what's your skin color, the one thing that you have in common, we all have in common, Satan hates you. And he will do everything to see you in bondage to pain and your problems. He would love for you to find your identity in your situation. But freedom is finding our identity in Christ, regardless of our situation. That's why Paul can say, I've learned to be content in whatever situation, whether I'm hungry, whether I'm full, whether I have a lot, whether I'm prison, I'm locked up in prison, I'm out of prison. Paul is always rejoicing. It's not easy, but he's able to do it because he, he doesn't find his identity in all those things. So here it is. Jesus connects the physical to the spiritual. There was a spiritual problem that was going on in a man that was showing up physically. The reason that he was cutting himself, the reason why he's attacking, he's violent, the reason why he's crying out loud, the reason why he's living in a graveyard in a cemetery is because of what's going on inside of him. You see it there? And this is why only Jesus can speak into, dark, into the darkest hearts. This is why we simply can't look to only programs or the government or external physical sources to change us because only Jesus can change the heart. Physical tools only fix physical symptoms. It is only the word of God led by the Holy Spirit of God that can truly transform the heart. Now, knowing this, it shows us and reminds us why we desperately need Jesus, right? I mean, if you really believe this, tr this truth, it will make you a radical prayer warrior. Because you will know I can preach the gospel, I can tell my brother, I can love my sister, I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. Jesus has not called you to change people, only love people. He doesn't say, transform your neighbor. 
He says, love your neighbor as yourself. That's something you can do. That's how you treat people, but you can't change them. We depend on God for that, which means we have to be praying and crying out like that. God, if you don't move, if you don't show up, I can all try to do all the right things, but the power to do all this, to truly transform, comes from your spirit. And God, if you don't work, this marriage ain't going to get to a better place. God, if you don't move, I could, I could say everything I need to say to my son. I could try to bring my kids to church every Sunday. I could try to put them in youth group and in camp. I could try to do all these things, go to Bible study. But if you don't move on my heart or their hearts, it won't change. And you know it's possible to sit under the word all the time and go to functions and still be so far from Jesus, right? That was the Pharisees. They were in a synagogue every single day, and they rejected the one who created them. All up here, but not here, because only the Spirit of God can pierce the heart that way. So verse 9, and Jesus asked him, what's your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Verse 11, now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. And I just want to pause right there. I want you to see what's happening Demons are asking permission where to be sent. And I want you to be encouraged by that, that why God put that in Scripture for you is to know that he has all authority over everything. Christians ought to have a strong backbone. We don't cower in fear to Satan. Or, to, or, or any spiritual, we don't cower. Now, we come humbly um, before God because we recognize how great he is, but we come boldly. Boldly doesn't mean yelling and loud, but it means I'm confident. When it says come boldly to the throne of grace, I'm coming confidently, not in myself, but in who I'm talking to. And the fact that I am his son, you are his daughter. Your daddy's in heaven, you are his daughter. You are his son. You could come to him confidently. Not arrogantly and cocky, but boldly knowing that you, he loves you. And you can pray and plead and come to him because he has all authority over everything. So they asked, look, verse 12, and they begged him. Now, matter of fact, they didn't ask, they begged, please, Jesus, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned into the sea. Now, up until this point, Nobody's been able to do that. They've tried shackles. They've tried everything possible, and they have not been able to help this man. Nobody up until this point has been able to speak into his heart and soul like that. Only Jesus. You know, I shared that I grew up, my mother and my little sister, uh, my biological father, who I didn't know majority of my life, um, ended up having more children. So I got about 10, 11 brothers and sisters. And uh, my baby brother, Kyrie, in Chicago, um, we found out that he has stage four lymphoma. And uh, he's young. He's, I think, like 27, 28. He's the baby of the family. And, um, you know, we found out because of the symptoms. He's battling a drug addiction. He was in rehab, and there were some symptoms that showed up. And uh, he went, and got, went to the doctor, and they found out, no, you have stage four cancer. That's why you have that. And there's some symptoms there, right? There's, there's fatigue. There's vomiting. There's weight loss, right? Now, I would love for the doctor to give him medicine to make the fatigue go away. 
and to, you know, make him preserve his weight and to not vomit. But at the end of the day, you need to kill the cancer. You got to go to the root of the problem. And the reason why Band-Aids are helpful is they can stop symptoms, but they can't get to the root of the problem. There's only one doctor in existence who can heal the soul and the heart. There's only one great physician who can truly heal the heart. And that's why we come to him because he's the one who can speak into and enter into the darkest heart. Can't nobody go back there. That's the whole point of the cross. The story of the cross is that the only person in existence full of love is addressing sin and pain head on. Nobody else could do it. And that's why when you get up on Sundays, you sing and you say, no name is higher, no name is greater. To you deserve all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. Because there is no name under heaven by which we must be saved, right? There's this, Jesus, is, you're the only one that could do it. Our eyes look to you. There's only one doctor, one physician who can truly set you free. His name is Jesus the Messiah. Now, I want to speak to two people in here. One is, um, first person, maybe this is you. Maybe you look at the story, you're like, I'm that guy. Like, I, I've been in bondage to this thing. And maybe people know about that thing, and maybe some people don't know. But maybe there's something you've been in bondage to. Maybe you've been in bondage to uh, uh, substance abuse, some drug and alcohol addiction. Maybe you've been in bondage to lust. Maybe you've been in bondage to your shame, past, maybe bitterness. You're just, you're just a very bitter person because you're really hurt. And you say, well, John, I've been praying about this for a while, but I don't know if the Lord can really do something in me like that. I'm encouraged by your story, but I don't know. Here's what I would say to you is let's follow the posture of the man in this story. What did he do? He ran to Jesus and fell completely at his feet in abandonment and desperation. And the question I would say to you, if this is you this morning, have you truly put your heart on the table in front of Jesus and said to him, whatever it takes, heal me? You find most Christians don't pray whatever it takes prayers. That's a scary prayer to pray. Because what if you're a mother praying for that and your son comes to faith while sitting in a prison cell with a murder charge? I mean, you said whatever it takes. And oftentimes what happens is we say, God, I give you my heart, but not that part. You can come into the house, kick your feet up on the couch. You can go in the fridge, get whatever you want. Jesus, have your way. Just don't go in the basement. Because down there is a lot of pain. It's a lot of vulnerability. I'm very sensitive and vulnerable in that spot. You know you can't get healed without God touching pain. It's going to mean some tears come up. It's a sweet, it's a sensitive spot for me. It's not the sweetest thing for me to talk about, but get into a place to say, Lord, me being healed and the pain that comes with being healed means more to me than staying in bondage. I'm willing to have the surgery. Second person is here. Maybe you're here and you're praying and you're like, man, John, I, I'm praying for somebody and I, I got a person right in my head right now and I, I just, I know Jesus could do it, but it's hard for me to see it. I just want to encourage you that the reason this story is in the Bible. The reason that God put this here is that you can be encouraged that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the same Jesus, the reason the stories are the same Jesus who healed this man and loved on him is available for that person in your life.
And if a pastor can sit up here and preach to you, coming from that background, that he can do that for anybody. And I want you to be encouraged in that. Jesus loves the captives. We should as well. Truth be told, we all are captives. All people are redeemable. Only Jesus can truly free us. Only Jesus can enter the darkest heart. And here's the last thing. Only Jesus can make us new. Verse 14. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see uh, what it was that had happened. I so respect this because nowadays everything can happen real quick because you can just text somebody. <laughs> Yo, guess what Jesus just did. Like he would have been trending, but they, they're on foot running out to tell everybody what just happened. Verse 15. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Hallelujah. I mean, put your, I mean, think about this. The guy who's been sitting there for a long time, the, the, the guy in the graveyard, that's all we know, he's the guy in the graveyard that's in shackles. He's now sitting there in his right mind. Do you know how many, like, miles had to be on the floor? Think about the hardest, most difficult person you could think of. And them being in their right mind, sitting with Jesus. It's, it's, that's what we're praying for, right? And this is an amazing thing. This guy is now a new creation in Christ. I love 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. John 8, 36 says, so if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. What you are seeing here, ladies and gentlemen, is true freedom, my brothers and sisters. This is what real freedom looks like. It's the freedom's not based upon simply what country you live in what car you drive, how much money you make in the bank, or even if your health is all together, because you could be, have perfect health and be a mess spiritually. True freedom, when Jesus says who the Son has set free is free indeed, it means your soul is now set free and alive in Christ. You are a new creation. You have been born again. You are free. And not only, not only are you a new creation, but now you're not carrying any baggage. That doesn't mean you don't live with consequences. I still live with consequences. I'm currently on probation. I just did nine years of parole. A pastor on parole and probation. So sometimes because of your past, you got to live with the consequences, right? That man or that woman who was in that drug addiction might have physical problems now with their body they have to carry for the rest of their life. But here's the thing. You don't have to be in bondage to it no more. You don't have to find your identity in that no more. Heaven is a whole world of I was but God. I should have been but God. And that's this guy's story now. He might have to deal with the consequences. He's still going to have all the scars from the time he cut himself, himself, and he's going to probably see them for the rest of his life. But he doesn't have to walk in bondage to that no more. Now, what do you think the response of the people is going to be? What do you think? How how are Christians going to respond to that? Let's look in verse 16. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. Verse 17, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. That's crazy. This guy got saved. He's transformed. He's changed. And the first thing they could think to say is, Jesus, you got the roll, bro. <laughs> you got to get up on out of here. That's crazy. There's, so there's, there's two things we learn 
about their lack of celebration. One, it says a lot about what they think about Jesus, and we can kind of be sympathetic because we're looking back and we know the whole story now. Jesus hadn't gone to the cross yet. He just appeared on the scene. So all they know is some guys showed up, called himself the Messiah. He snapped his fingers. Some guys healed. The demons run out. We watched the pigs. They're all floating in the water down there. This is scary. I don't want to be around them. Okay, I could take that. So they're afraid of Jesus. They say, well, you got to go. But it also shows what they think about the man. There's no celebration. There's no like, man, we're so thankful that Jimmy saved. None of that. All they can think of is he got to go. Well, what, about, what, what, what about this man who's got saved? He's not even mentioned in there what they think about him. It's not important. You do remember the story. Remember the story about the prodigal son? Remember he comes home and everybody's celebrating except who? The brother. And why is he not celebrating? Because he doesn't think it's fair that he should get that type of grace. He has a problem with grace. And, and what that shows here, even that we could kind of take away that's kind of implied in the text, and we see often in Scripture and all throughout the Gospels, is that there's a tendency within us to not like grace being shown to people we don't like or can't stand. It's the reason why the Jews had a problem with Jesus going through Samaria. It's the reason why people probably didn't like the Good Samaritan story, because the Samaritan's the hero. There's something within us that that when the pain and the wound is deep, we love everybody else that gets saved, but not our enemy. Look what Jesus says to the man. Look at verse 18. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might go with him. That shows me he's been truly converted. What do you want to do now that you're saved? I want to be with Jesus wherever he goes. Jesus, can I go with you, please? How many of you would have said the same thing to Jesus? I am walking off the job like right now, Jesus. I can see you, God, face to face, and I can walk with you. I'm just going, I'm gone. Right? Everybody in here would be like, yo, I'm walking with Jesus. Look what Jesus says to him, verse 19. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And what we can know is that this man is in the graveyard and Jesus tells him the first place you need to start ministry is back home. You don't need to travel with me to go tell everybody else about me. Why don't you start in your own household? And we shouldn't assume that that was easy. He's been living in shackles and chains in the graveyard. Can you imagine getting that doorbell, that doorbell ringing? Somebody get the door, I'm cooking. <laughs> He's looked at the people, he opened the door and it's him. Like, can you imagine what that would have, and who knows, Right? He's going back home. We don't know if he has a wife. We don't know if he has kids. We don't know if he's going back to his parents, but he's going back home. Jesus said, go back home. And there probably were some hard conversations there because he's been gone. And if he's in shackles because he's dangerous to other people, he probably was dangerous in the house. There might be some, I'm sorry for what I did to you. I'm sorry that I haven't been around, son. I've been gone for the last five years. But let me tell you what God did in my life. Let me tell you who I met. In verse 20, as we close, he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. The point of this story that Jesus shows here is that in God's kingdom, captives become preachers. Isn't that amazing? He goes around preaching the gospel now, sharing with everybody what God has done for him. A guy who was in bondage not too long ago, now preaching. 
That's amazing. Only Jesus can set the captives free. Only Jesus can enter the darkest heart. And only Jesus can make us new. As we close, I just want to leave you with this. I, I know sometimes we wrestle with God's timing and there's pain with that. I often ask myself, just to be honest, I've caused a lot of people pain in my life. There was a reason why I spent most of my teenage years in and out of jail. I caused a lot of people in my family and in my community a lot of pain. And then even to think about the young man who lost his life, a lot of people are like, man, that's an amazing testimony, man, that's powerful. And you cheer, but it's like, yeah, well, that wasn't your son that got killed. I don't think you would have the same enthusiasm about my salvation. You probably would be upset. And maybe even wrestle with me experiencing grace. So I've often had the question of, Lord, why didn't, you just, why didn't you save me before that? Like, why didn't you swoop down and just, why, like, why did someone have to lose their life and then you save? Like, even like the apostle Paul, I think about when he was Saul of Tarsus, like, why didn't you save him before Stephen got killed? Like, wh- like, before, like, why couldn't you just swoop down and, like, do this radical thing? And honestly, I don't know. Scripture says the secret things belong unto the Lord. I haven't got an answer for that. But here's what I do know. It's a part of my testimony. And I don't know if I could pastor on the west, of Chicago, the west side of Chicago the way I do if I haven't had some of these things. And sometimes God allows you to go through some severe pain and so that you could turn around and minister to people in the same situation. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're waiting this morning or if you're sitting here this morning, you're just like, man, John, I don't know. I've been praying for a long time and it's been 10 years and God still hasn't given me my breakthrough yet in this area. I'm still struggling with this. Why is God not uh, uh, breaking me free in this year? Why am I still struggling with this thing? I believe that God will free you. But also what you're having is a testimony. And when you're looking out at someone and all you see is their mess, just know that God's working on their testimony. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads as I close out in prayer? Lord, we, we... We thank you for being so gracious. Forgive us for how casual we are with you and your word. The the word of God is not just some book to be tossed around casually. It's not a coaster to sit our coffee on. But it's the voice from heaven. We believe you have spoken to us this morning from this passage to remind us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the same Jesus who was walking by when this man ran to him is the same Jesus we serve. He's our Savior. You are our Savior, God. I pray that for those who are in bondage to anything, it could be pride, it could be anger, it could be fear, it could be the fear of man, it could be shame. Would you help us to truly run to you and fall at your feet? And not deceive ourselves and say, well, no, my heart's all over. No, no, my heart's on the table. No, God, we confess that we have often said, yes, you can go get whatever you want in the fridge. You can kick your feet up on the couch, on the table, but do not go in the basement. God, would you go in the basement of our hearts today? And there's some pain down there, but we know this, that you're the same God who said that we could come to you all who are weary and heavy laden. That you are gentle and lowly in heart. And so we're so thankful that we have a doctor, a great physician who is gentle, who might cut out some of that cancer that's, that's killing us, but he's gentle 
and he's doing it for our good. God, would you heal us today? And then, God, those that are heavy on our hearts that maybe we've given up on or we don't even know how to pray anymore, we feel uh, weary, God, just waiting on you to do a work. God, would you help us not grow weary in doing good? With the trust that we will bear fruit and see fruit in this due time, God, would you help us to persevere in prayer, help us to not lose hope? God, you can save people in their teens and you can save them in their 80s. And sometimes it's painful waiting to their 80s, but God, give us faith to believe that you will save. And God, I just want to lift up every person that's on our hearts right now. God, would you, would you convict them wherever they are? Would you soften their hearts? They may not even know that the saints at Harvest are praying for them right now, but we just want to intercede on behalf of everyone that's represented here the people on their hearts, in their lives. God, would you soften hearts? Would you bring them back to yourselves? Would you bring the young man or young woman or the father or the mother or the husband or the wife that walked away from you, would you bring them back? Would you free some of our friends or our family members from addictions? Would you restore marriages, God? Maybe even marriages in this room that feel like it's so far gone, we don't even know how to do anything here. God, would you, would you do the work? We are interceding right now. there's no other option. You said in John 15, apart from me, you could do nothing. So God, we come before you, we fall on our faces saying you are holy, you are good, and we desperately need you to move in ourselves and in the world around us, God. Give us faith to believe and help us to endure. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.